right, if you uh, have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Psalm 123. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, Bibles located on the seat back there that you can borrow and follow along with us this morning. Uh, Psalm 123, and uh, the title of this sermon is Until God Shows Us Mercy. It says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. That is the word of the Lord. So as we look at this psalm, there's some distinct things about it that kind of stand out to us. Uh, The first thing is that uh, we can see that it is in the form of a prayer. And that is easily detected by just looking at the structure of the psalm itself. In verse 1, uh, we see that it is addressed to God. It says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Uh, who else is enthroned in the heavens but God? So this psalm is directed toward God. And um, not only that, but we also see a part of this psalm that is dedicated to adoration. And what is adoration? You look at the root word of that. It means to adore. It means to proclaim. It means to uh, give glory to And we see that in verse 2, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. So there's, there's adoration there, even if you want to back up a little bit, where it says you are enthroned in the heavens. That is something that is being said that lifts up God, puts him in his proper place, and uh gives him honor and glory. So we see adoration in this prayer, and then we also see a petition, and that we see that in verse 3 where he asks for mercy. He says, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. So when we look at those three aspects, we are able to see that this is a, a, a psalm. Um, it is, so it is a psalm, it's a song as well, but it is also in the form of a prayer. Secondly, though, when we look at this psalm, we must not forget that this is a psalm of ascent. Uh, It says that in the title. Uh, It actually has the the, the plural form, uh, song of ascents. And if we remember anything about what a psalm of ascent is, is that it's an old Israel hymn. Uh, So these uh, psalms were actually songs that Israel sang and praised God with. Uh, They praised the person and work of God just like we did this morning with the songs that we sang, those songs are dedicated to praising the person and the work of God. That's exactly what these set of, uh, of psalms do as well. Now, as I told you last week, these psalm, the song of ascents were used. They were used to sing on the way to Jerusalem as they went to visit the temple. So the Israelites sang these songs on their way there, praising God for his work and also for his person, who he is as, as a person. I mean, when I mean that, I mean his, his qualities. Uh, um, I mean who he is and what he has done for us. Um, so the, the other interesting thing about that is that there is no author that is, um, ha- who, who is responsible for this psalm. At least it's not told to us, and we do not know that. 
But there is something that we can see when we look at this psalm is that we can determine that the Israelites were, were really suffering persecution at the time that this psalm was written. And some scholars believe that it was written when the Israelites were returning back from the Babylonian captivity. And if we know anything about the Babylonian captivity, it was a horrible experience for Israel. Uh, people suffered greatly during that captivity. Uh, they cried out to God for help and mercy, and it came, but years and years after, uh, they suffered a lot. So this is at the end of that captivity when they were coming back, and they were coming back to uh, a land where people were already there. Uh, they had, the, the Israelites had been gone for so long, people had moved in, and as the Israelites were coming back to their land, uh, they were experiencing uh, just really bad relationships. People, they were despised, they were mocked, uh, they were persecuted when they returned. In response to this unrelenting abuse and also injustice, the psalmist um, wrote this song as a cry out to God for help. And uh, that is pretty evident when we look at uh, basically verses 3 and 4 of how he is asking God uh, to have mercy upon them. Now, there is something that is very clear here, is that the psalmist understood that nothing good happens in a person's life um, until the Lord shows him mercy. That, that is clear. He was reliant on God for mercy. He understood his situation, what he was going through, how bad it was, but ultimately he understood that God could lift it from him if God showed him mercy. Uh, the psalmist is very careful, and I, I want to add, as we all should be, to give the Lord his full devotion and to depend fully on him. These are things that we're going to talk about as we go through uh, this psalm. There are three things that I really want to point to that this psalm just um, kind of teaches us. The first thing is when we are dependent on God to show us mercy, it, it is to him that we need to pray. Okay? It is to him that we need to pray. Uh, that is something that is very clear and that is uh, ba basically uh, put in front of us in verse 1 of this psalm. Uh, the second thing is it is for him that we wait. That's the second thing we're going to talk about. And the third thing is, is uh, by him, we are blessed. So those three things I, I want to focus on as we look at this psalm. So let's look at the first thing. Uh, to him, uh, we pray. We see that in verse one. To you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. This psalm begins similar to the Lord's Prayer. And I want to compare and contrast uh, this psalm with the Lord's Prayer. In verse 1, I just read that to you, but if we look at Matthew 6, verse 9, we'll see that it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then I'll read it again. Psalm 123, verse 1 says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. As we look at both of those verses side by side, there are some similarities there that we need to acknowledge. Both of these prayers are monotheistic. And when I talk about monotheistic, uh, it means that we that, that they acknowledge and that they worship the one true God, uh, that there are no other gods. The psalmist has set his foundation, uh, or his devotion rather, fully on Yahweh. He has made up his mind. There, there are no other gods. There is no one else to pray to. There is no one else that's going to help him. See, he knows in his heart of hearts that 
there is no other God. And since there is no other God, then there is no other name to call upon but the Lord. There is no other name to call upon except Yahweh. And what I think what's interesting here is that in verse 1, when he initially starts this psalm, he doesn't even use the Lord's name. Because for him, it is understood who he is praying to. There is no question. Names give designation. And when he starts off this psalm, there is no name that is needed because to you, he says, I lift up my eyes. Because when he says to you, I lift up my eyes, he is acknowledging that there is no one else up there but one. I think that's a beautiful, um, that, that's a beautiful story. It tells a beautiful story of his faith and, and, and how firm he believes in God and the God Almighty. As he speaks, he knows there's only one God who is listening, and that is Yahweh. See, but not only does he know that the Lord is Lord alone, but he also knows of the Lord's majesty and his power. He understands that the Lord is high and exalted. And we can see that in our passage. He has a great understanding of that, that the Lord is high and exalted because when he calls upon his name, he knows that he must lift up his eyes in order for him to honor the Lord adequately. To you, I lift up my eyes. There's, there's a sense of, 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 of majesty. There's a, a, a sense of worship when we lift up our eyes because we know that something is higher than us. He has given honor to the Lord by saying that. The psalmist also knows that he is of the earth. He is of the earth, and he knows that the one whom he prays to, that he dwells enthroned in the heavens. And we see that in verse 1. So two things are going on in verse 1. Number one, he lifts up his eyes. And also, he knows that God is enthroned in the heavens. So he is praying this prayer to the Lord, knowing that he is praying only to him and that he himself is full of majesty and power and wonder and, and that he is praying to uh, God and, and Yahweh for that matter. He firmly knows that and, and he is sure of that. Now, as we look at that, we need to come to that understanding. We need to come to the understanding that there is only one God. We need to come to the understanding that he is full of majesty and power. We need to acknowledge and only pray to the one true God who exists in three persons. That is so important for us to recognize. You see, because we bow the knee and devote the heart only to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are one. There is no one else that is going to save us. There is no one else who is listening to our prayers but him. And as we understand scripture, we know that God is a jealous God. If we pray to anything else, if we pray to anyone else, we must know that we dishonor the Lord by giving honor to the things that he has created. Because if we know anything about scripture, the Bible tells us that God has created all things. And if we pray to something that he has created, we are giving that thing honor and not God, who our honor is due to. 
So we need to be very careful about that, praying, praying to created objects. <clears throat> we also know that the Bible tells us that there is no intermediator between us and God except for Jesus Christ. See, no matter how difficult things get or how long they are difficult, we need to understand that God remains our God and we I think that's extremely important whenever we are going through something and, and uh, we are praying for mercy. I think a lot of people get very uh, desperate at times when their prayer isn't being answered the way they want it to be answered. And they, they think that God himself, they may think that God himself is not adequate or that God is not listening. And they begin to rely on other things. They begin to pray to idols. They begin to pray to saints. They begin to, to do this extremely religious stuff but it has no value it has no worth because it's not founded on God and as Christians we are called to serve and honor the one true God so remember that as no matter how difficult things get or how long they are difficult he remains our God and we remain his children we also must remember that the Lord is high and exalted. We too must lift up the eyes of our hearts. We too must lift up the eyes of our faith. Because when the psalmist talks about lifting up his eyes, it's not so much that he means his physical eyes. It's that he's lifting up his heart and his faith to God because he knows that God is enthroned in the heavens. He has given his devotion to the Lord who sits, on, who sits in the heavens on high. But you and I must do the same thing. We must remember to lift up our eyes to him. He sits on his throne and there is, there is not one thing or one person who is greater than he. And that includes our trouble. Listen to this out of Jeremiah 10, chapter, or, uh, chapter 10, verses 6 and 10. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. I think that verse really puts it together of how of, of who God is and how we should adore him and how we should worship him. When we need help, we must look up to our sovereign God. We must look up to our sovereign Lord and pray because we must understand that our help only comes from him. Secondly, what this psalm points out is for him we wait. And we see that in verse 2. Uh, the similarities between this prayer and the Lord's prayer continue. Listen to this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Matthew 6.10. Now let's compare that to our passage. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. I don't know if you caught that, but there's something very distinct that these two passages share. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As the psalmist ends his prayer, he says, Till he has mercy upon us. See, in both of these prayers, there is an acknowledgement 
of the dependency we all have on the will of God. When we pray to our creator, there are certain things that we do. And we just don't do these things just to do them. We are actually told in scripture, this is how you ought to pray. When we pray to the Lord, we adore him. We give him honor. We give him glory because that's the way the Lord taught us to pray. We confess our sins. We give him thanks. And we, we place our petitions at his feet. We do all that because that's the way we've been taught by scripture to do. Then we wait patiently. We wait obediently. And we wait expectantly. We do this because nothing happens until he shows us mercy. And that's where I think a lot of people don't have a good understanding about prayer. Because they think prayer, some people think that prayer is just seeing God as a genie in a bottle and whatever you request, he's going to answer the way you want it to be answered. But that's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture does as he wills. And we are dependent upon him. We are dependent upon him for him to move, for him to give us mercy. We pray as we should, but then we wait in obedience and we wait expecting for God to answer our prayer according to his will and also according to his timing. There are two examples that are given that lead us to this conclusion within this psalm. The first one is the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hand of their mistress. It says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. When we look at the relationships, there is a servant-master relationship and a maid-servant-mistress relationship. Both of these are on display here in this psalm. And both of them display the dependency we all have on God for mercy. As a servant, we wait on the master's orders. As a servant, we cannot do anything unless the master tells us to do something, right? And we do things according to his word. That's what it means to live in obedience with his word. Also, from the master, we receive instruction. Uh, we wait to receive provisions from him. Because we understand that everything that we have comes from him. There is nothing that we have that doesn't come from him. If he doesn't want us to have it, we won't have it. If he does, then we will. So we wait upon him to provide it for us. And we also rely on his protection. We know that there is nothing that we can do without the protection of the Lord. He must go with us. He must protect us. He must surround us. He must give us his mercy for us to live. You see, that's why we are told to pray like this. The Lord says to pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, pointing back to the provisions we must have on the Lord. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive are forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we go back to the Lord's Prayer and we see how dependent we are on the will of God, it's, amazing, it's an amazing thing to acknowledge and to know. 
that we need God for everything. And nothing is given to us until God says, I will give it to you. Until God has given us mercy. So it is for, for him that we wait. Without the Lord showing us mercy, again, we would have nothing. We are not in a position to uh, evoke him or require something of him as if he owes us a blessing. That is something else that is done in, in today's uh, church where they, people look at God and say, well, God owes me something because he tells me in his word that if I, if I test him, or if, 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 if I challenge him, if I have enough faith to do that, then he will bless me with something. I would strongly discourage you from doing that to God. God does not owe us anything, and we should not require anything of him. Scripture says for us to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You catch that? That we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I think that's extremely important. That was from 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7. See, there is nothing there that requires us to challenge God. Instead, it says that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And that at the proper time, when he deems proper, he will exalt us. You see, we have no choice but to wait on the Lord. While we wait, we continue to ask, we continue to trust, and we continue to obey. Again, I want to go back to 1 Peter 5, 6 and point out how important it is for us to understand what proper time means. When you and I don't get what we want, I know sometimes it's very hard for us to um, be patient about it. But we must understand that you and I, we don't get to decide when we get it. There are several different examples that are, that are going on, not only in this church, but that we see in the world. There are people who are suffering from uh, debilitating disease and their prayers for God to heal them. God, he will heal them at the proper time, at the time when he decides. There are people who are suffering from abuse from another. They're praying for God to show mercy upon them. God will at the proper time. There are people suffering persecution because of their faith, and they're praying for God to rescue from that, rescue them from that. We must understand that God will at the proper time. There are people who are wrongly accused. They're suffering because of that. But we must have faith and know that God will answer them and answer their prayers at the proper time. We can make it personal. See, there are things that are going on in our own lives. There are questions that you have about what has happened to you. There are questions that you have about why you are going through something. You're wondering, why won't you answer me, God, or why haven't you answered me? And maybe you're about to kind of 
take things into your own hands, as we say. You're going to fix this problem yourself. Again, I'd warn you against that because whenever we try to fix our, the problems ourselves, we make a bigger problem. What you must understand is that God will answer your prayer at the proper time. He never fails us. He has not forsaken us. It is for him that we wait. What we must do is that we must continue to ask. We must be obedient to his word. And we must continue to trust that he will answer at the proper time. And the third thing, by him we are blessed. I think here is the I think this is the beautiful part of the prayer. And I think that everyone in here will be able to appreciate this part. To me, it reflects a very important statement of faith that we share. When we look back to Ephesians 2 8, this is something that we all cherish and know that we are saved by grace through faith. Nothing that we've done, we know that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We know that we did not help God to save us. He truly saved us on his own. He brought us back to life. We were dead in our transgressions. He caused us to have faith in him. He sanctifies us every single day. So we know that Ephesians 2.8 is a wonderful proclamation of faith. And we can all cry out, by grace we have been saved through faith. And we know that this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God. Notice that the psalmist asked for God to have mercy upon him and upon them when he's crying out to God doesn't claim anything, doesn't demand anything from God. He knows that God does not owe him. He knows he hasn't earned anything for that, so that God can answer his prayer the way he wants it. He simply asks God for mercy. Verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. See, this is something that's really beautiful, something that, again, we can all appreciate. The psalmist realizes that there is no valid reason for God to answer his prayer outside of God having mercy on him. When God answers a prayer, it's because he has chosen to bless us. He's not paying us back. Sorry. He's not paying us back because we are so committed to him. That's not what's going on. He's blessing us because he has chosen to be Even as I say these words, I, I, just, I get emotional just because God is so great. 
None of us deserve what we have. But yet, God has chosen to give it to us. God's blessings are a complete act of mercy from him. And when we realize by him and by him alone that we are blessed, changes everything. We begin to realize what a mighty God we serve and also what a merciful God we serve. I pray that this sermon has helped you today. I pray that it helps you as you wait on the Lord for him to show you mercy. Pray only to him. He is the only one who can help you. You must realize that you must wait on him. And that your blessing only comes from him. Let us pray. Father, we.